great pleasure to be with you again tonight, and especially those of you that are here in the house. If I haven't met you before, my name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and it's a great pleasure to be able to make your acquaintance. If I haven't met you before, spend a little bit of extra time afterwards and come and and introduce yourself to me after the service tonight. We would love to meet you and get to know you a little bit better. And to those of you that are joining us online at King's Community Live, Facebook Live, uh, we also know some of your faces because we've been able to spend some time together in Zoom over the last uh, couple of months, the last several months, the last year and a half, and we know your faces, and uh, we're so honored to be able to be together with you as well. We love you, and we love you here in the house, and so we just want to welcome those that are joining us from outside of Israel. There's a few countries joining us, 27 different countries, and I'm just going to mention a couple of uh, names, Albania, Suriname, Singapore, Slovakia, welcome to all of you. And then a special mention to our friend in Suriname, Astrid, it's great to have you with us here tonight. I'm assuming that that's who's joining us from Suriname. Well, either way, however you got with us tonight, it's an honor to be able to worship together with you. And um, we're looking forward to a great time together tonight. Here in Israel, we are finally, after... How many months has it been? A year and a half. We're finally starting to move out of our restrictions. As of Tuesday, June 1st, those things are coming to the end. All of the restrictions are ending as far as social gathering and social distancing and mask wearing as far as I know. And we're getting ready to move into a whole new season. And so we're inviting you and we're inviting you if you're in Jerusalem and you're uh, here in Israel, come and join us. We're we're open. We'd love to have you here with us in the building and uh, we're celebrating. It's a great time as we're looking forward to a new normal. But for many of us, we're we're stepping out of uh, the ark. So in the very beginning of COVID, one of our leaders gave us this image that God was going to be tucking us into his ark to protect us, to take care of us during this season. We didn't even know how long it was going to last during at that point, but to tuck us into the ark. So here we are. A year and a half later, we're coming out of the ark. But the world has changed. We've changed. And now we're trying to recalibrate our lives and Pieces of our lives that used to be there are now gone, and some new ones now exist, and and we're trying to recalibrate how do we go forward in our lives. In fact, this idea of moving forward is really what gave us this, that, that birthed in Pastor Ray's heart, this series that we're going through called Moving Forward. And we're looking at the book of Nehemiah, and we are taking some lessons and gleaning some ideas uh, out of the book of Nehemiah that we can apply to our lives. It's not exact, exact, same, same that we see in Nehemiah in our situation, but there's some nuggets, some truths that we can grab a hold of and apply to our lives as we go forward and begin to individually and corporately put our lives back together and in a way rebuild a new truth of what God's kingdom has in front of us. Beginning with, one of the nuggets that we began with Pastor Ray's first message is is basically saying, Lord, your servant is here. Speak to me. What would you have me do? This is our starting place. I'm going to just ask if the ushers could uh, usher our, our little friends up here out of the room. That would be very helpful for me. So, Lord, here's your servant. 
What can I do? What would you have me do? What is it that you would have me do, God? That's our starting place. And then Pastor Chad followed right behind to say, uh, our instinct needs to be first to prayer. And going to God and to say to God, what would you have me do? How do I go forward? What, what are the pieces that I need to let go of? And what are the pieces that I need to hold on to? And what do I need new in my life? And our instinct needs to be first to talk to God and to ask for his help. Some other nuggets that we've gleaned out of this great book of Nehemiah uh, is, and that Pastor Chad has given to us over the last few weeks is that our lives are actually written in the scripture, we can see that what we're living today are prophetic uh, realities that God is allowing us to be a part of. Our, our lives are written right there in the text. And that as we rebuild, we're rebuilding. It's going to look different than it was a year and a half ago. But as we're rebuilding, we're rebuilding on godly foundations, on those foundations that we started, uh, God planted in us years and years ago. And then that encouragement, that great encouragement that God is with us. Wherever we're weakest, wherever we feel our greatest vulnerability, God comes to that spot in the wall around our lives. And he gives us strength and he gives us the uh, protection that we need to be able to continue to go forward. And then finally, last week, Pastor Ray's message giving us this idea, this major component that we need to be able to move forward as we manage and steward the relationships in our lives, that we would look out for the good of others, uh, being willing to sacrifice our own personal interests and help lead in this renewing season with God's moral authority at place in our lives. And so we want to invite you, if you've missed any of those lessons, it's a great package to really look at and to glean some truths that will allow you to go forward and to build new into this next new season. You can find those on our website at kkcj.org. Go to the archive section. You can get all of those lessons there. But tonight we're going to continue moving forward in our Moving Forward series. And we're going to be looking at the, the, the book of Nehemiah, chapter 6. So go ahead and grab your Bibles. Pull those out. If it's a hard copy or if it's a digital version, turn to chapter 6. And as you're doing that, I want to just kind of rehearse a little bit. How did we get here? And remind us that Nehemiah, who is living in Babylon, he's a, a Jewish exile, was probably born there in Babylon, He's working for the king of Babylon as the cupbearer, as the king's cupbearer. He's one of the Jewish exiles. And up until this time, a first wave of the remnants of the Jewish exiles has already returned back to the land of Israel. Some 94 years before Nehemiah is penning his story that we're going through right now. And during that 94 years, under the leadership of uh, Zerubbabel, uh, eventually, or essentially, almost nothing has taken place. Only after 50 years of, re, of their return back to the land of Israel did they manage to restore the temple. The temple was built after 50 years. And then 94 years later, we find Nehemiah here. And Nehemiah is probably, uh, it, it doesn't say it in the text, but he's probably excited because he knows that just the year before, 
a whole second wave of exiles had returned back to Israel and they were going to be doing God's work. They were going to be fulfilling the prophecies that had been spoken through Isaiah and through Jeremiah as the the people are restored to their land. And so he's excited to hear what's going on there. There wasn't email yet. There wasn't WhatsApp or text. It wasn't CNN or BBC or any of those other ends in the news. He, he had to wait for somebody to bring the news back. So over a year goes by and somebody comes through town and, and he goes to him and he's like, tell us what's going on. What great things is God doing there? How is prophecy being fulfilled? Are, are the people being restored to worship again? But his hopes are dashed to pieces as he receives this report that Jerusalem is a disgrace. The walls are broken down. The gates are burned. The people aren't really worshiping God. And this message uh, penetrates into Nehemiah's heart. And this was where Pastor Ray's first message, that the promises of God didn't match the realities on the ground. And because there was this great discrepancy going on, Nehemiah in his heart is challenged. He wants to see God's plans fulfilled, but the realities on the ground are not that. And it becomes a a fire of motivation in his heart. And we see that that fire remains throughout the story so that it's what moves Nehemiah to pray It's what moves Nehemiah to speak to the king and then eventually travel to Judah and to begin the restoration of the walls around Jerusalem. And and then he ends up living there for 12 years and, and trying to bring restoration to that situation. It's this fire in his heart to make something different than what was happening up until that time. But the text also shows us, in spite of this fire that's in his heart, and, and it's a, a major theme through the book of Nehemiah that we're going to see that happens even before Nehemiah. In the book of Ezra, we see this, this, uh, this pattern that's taking place that even before Nehemiah's time, from the time the first wave of exiles, 94 years have gone by, from that moment that they returned back to the land until now, the Jewish exiles have been facing unending opposition from the people in the land, from the Samaritans, from the Ammonites, from the Arabs, and they've been facing lots of problems within their own ranks. In some ways, it was never-ending over that 94-year period, never-ending trials, opposition, problems, testings. And then here in chapter 6 of Nehemiah, where we're going to be tonight, we see this same pattern continuing. In fact, it's kind of on steroids in a way, because we see that there is abundant opposition and numerous problems. In fact, so much so that you have to sort of wonder, how did Nehemiah and how did the people even complete the building of the wall? How did they do it? There's so much coming at them during this period of time. And then the timing of all of the problems and the opposition is also interesting. And we need to take a note here because it's just before the finishing of the project. So we're going to read it in just a second, but it's right as they've come to the end. There's just the last touches that they have to do to the project and it's going to be done. And suddenly in comes this flood 
of opposition and problems and challenges and testings to Nehemiah and to the people. So let's take a look. Open your Bibles to Nehemiah 6. We're going to start in verse 1. We're going to look at verse 1 through 4. When word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of the en- and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors in the gates, so they're almost finished, but the doors aren't in the gates yet. Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message: Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me, he says, so that I sent messengers to them with this reply. I'm carrying on a great project and I cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it to go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message. And each time I gave them the same answer. It's important for us as we read this text to realize these aren't just some random guys. They're not just your your run-of-the-mill ordinary people that are living in the land. These are political leaders. Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem, the Arab, they represent a, a political entity, if you will. They're political leaders. They have political clout. And they have power and sway politically and economically and over the people. So these aren't just random guys. This is like a political parlay. They're trying to arrange a political official looking meeting to invite Nehemiah to come to them. And actually what they're doing is they're they're trying to leverage their position, their power, their authority. They're trying to distract Nehemiah and the people from the work. They're trying to cause him to unloosen from the work, to budge him away from the work, and to get him to step away from his goal of getting the walls finished. They see that it's just about done, and they think, maybe we'll get him away from it. And actually, he says that they were planning to harm him. So it wasn't even just a political parlay. They're looking at a way to destroy his life, if by chance they can do it. And Nehemiah's response is, I'm carrying on a great project. Not just a project, this is a great project. Lining it up with God's word of restoration of the land and the people and of the cities. And I cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave to go down to you? You could almost read it that way. So he turns them back four times, but this doesn't stop the enemies of Israel. Let's pick it up in verse 5. It says, Then the fifth time, so they come one more time with the same message. Sanballat sent his aid to me with the exact same message. And in his hand is an unsealed letter, sort of like what I'm holding up here tonight. It had a seal on it, but the seal is broken open. And in his hand is an unsealed letter in which is written, It's reported among the nations, and Geshem says it's true that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt. And therefore, you are building the wall. This is why you're building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king, 
and that you have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king. So come, let us meet together. Nehemiah replies, I sent them this reply, nothing like what you say is happening, nothing like what you say is happening is happening. You're just making it up out of your head. They were trying to frighten us, thinking their hand will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hand. There's nothing like a false accusation to unnerve us, to cause us to step out to try to take care of ourselves, to right the wrong, to bring the justice, to, to clear our name. I didn't say that. I didn't do that. I didn't mean that. And this is what they're doing with this false accusation. We, we hear that you're actually planning to revolt. That's why you're building the wall, and that you're going to make yourself the king, stepping into a realm and into a position that you're not even supposed to have. They're trying to unpin him by getting him to stand up and to defend himself instead of trusting God. And so they invite him one more time, this time, Nehemiah, this is the caveat that's a part of their invitation. This time, you don't, you don't have a choice, Nehemiah. You have to meet with this. This is a serious accusation. And you need to give us some words. Otherwise, we're going to tell the king what's going on. And I love Nehemiah's response. He says, nothing like what you are saying is happening. In fact, you're just making it up out of your head. In other words, he says to them, you guys are a bunch of liars. That's a lie. None of what you said is true. And he leaves it at that. And then he prays, that instinct to pray, and he says, God, strengthen our hands. Give us the ability to do the work that you've called us to do. And that still doesn't stop the enemies. Let's pick it up in chapter or verse 10. Then one day... I went to the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabel, who was shut in at his home. He said, let us meet in the house of God inside of the temple and let us close the doors because men are coming to kill you. By night, they are coming to kill you. But I said, this is Nehemiah's response, but I said, should a man like me run away? Or should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. I realized, this is Nehemiah speaking, I realized that God had not sent him, but that he had, been, that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this, stepping into the temple where he wasn't allowed to go and closing the doors behind him as if he was a priest. And he wasn't a priest, and it would have been a sin to do this. And then they would have given me a bad name to discredit me. And then he prays again. There's that instinct to prayer, and he says, Remember 
Tobiah and Sanballat, my God, because of what they've done. And remember also the prophet Nodiah and how she and the rest of the prophets have been trying to intimidate me. This is a, a, a typical strategy of the enemy to try to intimidate us to step outside of our place of protection in God, to, to try to protect ourselves, to clear our name, to get us to do something that isn't a part of the plan. This is a, tr- a typical strategy of the enemy, and we see it written right here. You need to do something, Nehemiah. Somebody's coming to kill you. Take care of yourself. Make sure that your own bases are covered. And Nehemiah doesn't fall for it. Even though it's a new strategy, it's still the same enemy. And his response is, why should I run away? Why should I sin? Why can't I trust God with my life? He realized that they were trying to intimidate him. And he prays. And he asked God to strengthen his hand. And he asked God to remember his enemies. And then we see in, in spite of all of the problems, all of the opposition, all of the distractions, all of the accusations that just flood into this scenario, in spite of all of the pressures that Nehemiah felt and that the people felt, the building of the wall was completed in 52 days. That's miraculous. Think of that for just a moment. Nothing in Israel gets built in 52 days. Nothing. If you live here, you know what I'm talking about. Absolutely nothing could be, even the simplest kiosk can be put up in 52 days. And they rebuilt the walls around Jerusalem miraculously in 52 days and got doors on the gates again. And in chapter 6, verse 16, Nehemiah says, When all of our enemies heard this, all of the surrounding nations were afraid. And they lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. That's That's a dramatic statement. It stopped them in their tracks for just a few moments. But then the rest of chapter 6, which we're not going to read tonight, he goes back into detail of what the enemy continued to do. They weren't phased by that. They came again with a new strategy and a new plan, even after the wall was built, to undermine the work and the existence of the Jewish people. So what are our lessons out of Nehemiah? as we begin to move forward into a new season, we're literally stepping into a new world and a new life for many of us. What lessons can we learn from this as we come out of this long season of COVID, of trial and challenges and of of losses and of so many ups and downs that we can't even number them all? As we begin to call out to the Lord, here is your servant. Lord, what would you have me do? As we shed the old and embrace the new, and as we begin to grab a hold of God's words for us, individually and corporately, 
Nehemiah's story, especially here in chapter 6, reminds us of a crucial reality, a crucial truth that we are wise to grasp. And this is our first key point tonight. So you want to write this one down or take a picture with your phone. The first key point tonight, we never, and I would even underline that, never, ever, ever, we never move forward without opposition. Not necessarily opposition to us, as much as opposition to the God in us, to the God plan in us. We never move forward without opposition, without problems, without temptations and challenges and trials and difficulties and troubles. Well, that's not good news. But it's a truth that we are wise to embrace. John Maxwell says it this way, everything that is worthwhile is uphill. Everything that is worthwhile is challenging, has trials and difficulties, problems and opposition. Pastor Chad essentially said the same thing a couple of weeks ago, that if we're not experiencing opposition and problems and challenges, we may not be in God's plans. Or said a different way, the way he actually said it, we know that we're in God's plans when we're facing oppositions and trials and adversity and suffering. That's how we know most times that we are actually right in the center of God's plans. And this is our starting place as we begin to look forward into this new season. This is our starting place. We have to grasp this truth. The wise man and the wise woman won't be surprised when problems come. Rather, he and she will be expecting them, be anticipating them, and will develop that secret character superpower that Nehemiah displays for us in his life. That highly esteemed character virtue that actually gets a lot of airtime in God's word, namely, perseverance. How do we move forward in our lives in the face of unending adversity and setbacks and difficulties and problems and troubles and opposition? How do we move forward? Perseverance. This is one of the main ideas, one of the main lessons that we learn from Nehemiah through the whole book, but especially right here in chapter 6. Listen to his response when his enemies just pelt him over and over and over again with these invitations to do what he knows he's not supposed to do. I'm carrying on a great project, and I cannot go down. I can't be distracted. I'm focused. I'm going to keep doing the work that I've been doing. Why should the work stop while I leave to go down to you? I'm just going to keep doing it. I'm not going to get distracted. I'm not going to lose my place. When we think about all of the things that we might need for the coming days as we move forward, think about all the things that you might need that God is going to give to us. Love, 
gentleness, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, patience, obedience, long-suffering, the, the fruits of the Spirit, and much, much more. Of all of the many things that will be helpful for us, the one fundamental character virtue which always makes the difference between success and failure, which always makes the difference between moving forward or getting stuck and stopping is perseverance. In fact, I would say it this way, and this is a bold statement, probably. Perseverance is the main character trait that we will need to move forward in the coming days. Perseverance is the main character trait that we will need to be able to move forward in the coming days. Perseverance. What does perseverance look like? Well, we got a little help from our friends, Harvey and Lucy, a brother and sister team, and they're going to show us a little bit, in a humorous way, what perseverance might look like. Let's take a look at this. So, guys, I got you chocolate stuffed marshmallows. Does it sound good? Yeah. Okay, now here's the deal. Daddy and I have to run upstairs really fast. Do not eat them until we get back. Can you do that? Mm-hmm. Can you do that, Lou? Yeah. Do not eat them until we get back. We'll be right back. No. Okay. Don't eat them. Okay. I won't. Don't even take a bite. Don't. Okay. And you don't take a bite out of your ma- ma- marshmallow, okay? I wonder, I wonder what's in it. There's chocolate in it. Chocolate in caramel. And this chocolate is here in my marshmallow. Yes. And there's some in mine, too. And there's some in mine, too. You know, marshmallows are kind of sticky. Don't eat it. Marshmallows are kind of sticky. Yeah, they are. Hmm. So, remember, you don't eat your marshmallows. I'm not going to get back. Yeah. Why not? You're mine. I'm not eating mine. I'm not eating mine. This chocolate is here. This chocolate is here, Bubba. This chocolate and my marshmallow. Don't eat it. This chocolate is I here. know. Don't eat it. Why? You just can't eat it. Why? You can't eat it. Don't eat it, okay? Don't. I will not eat my marshmallow. Dear mom and dad, get back. This is good to Yeah, but you still can't eat it. Why? You just can't eat it. Now we can eat them. Hey, how do they do? Mm-hmm. Good job. 
Alright, dig in. What's in there? Chocolate-filled marshmallow. Mm. Are you kidding me? power of perseverance. I love the scene where she says, after being told by her bigger or older brother, do not eat, she finally says, I will not eat my marshmallow till mom and dad get back. And then immediately turns and says, this is going to be yummy. In a nutshell, this is the power of perseverance. I will not This is going to be great. I'm waiting for something better. The reward is coming. I can't feel it now. I can't see it now. I can't taste it yet. But it's coming. So I want to take a couple of minutes and look at this thing called perseverance. The power of perseverance. Specifically, we're going to look at three key principles about perseverance. I'm sure there's many, many more, but because of time, we're going to just look at three principles. Number one, perseverance is found in hard times. Perseverance doesn't just appear because we have willpower. It doesn't come just because we want it to be there. James tells us that perseverance comes from the testing of our faith. Consider it pure joy, pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. That's where it comes from. That's where it's born. That's where it's birthed in our hearts. The testing of your faith Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. That's a great promise. Allowing perseverance to finish its work in us. Paul continues this idea in Romans chapter 5. He says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. We glory in. In our sufferings, we count it pure joy when we face trials of many kinds because we know, Paul says, we know. We just know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. So, how do we get perseverance? We walk through those challenging times. Not in our own strength, but we follow Nehemiah's example. God, strengthen my hand. Nehemiah didn't do it in his own strength. He didn't do it out of his sheer willpower. He didn't do it because he was a brilliant leader. He continued to go to his God. God, give me strength. God, push away my enemies. God, help us complete this task. When we need perseverance in our lives, we simply walk through those challenging obstacles that are in front of us, oppositions and trials that come as a part of our answer to God. God, here's your servant. Tell me what to do. And God gives us his great calling. And we begin to do it. 
And as we're doing it, we just got through saying, we can expect opposition and trials and persecutions and adversities. But as we push through those, this is where perseverance is born. Number two, perseverance carries with it a reward. Besides producing spiritual maturity and character and hope, James tells us that perseverance carries with it a reward. Blessed is the one, he says, who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, the test of our faith, that person will receive the crown of life. What an outstanding promise. What an amazing reward that persistence carries with it. The crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 2 that God will repay each person according to what they've done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give them eternal life. Persistence comes with a reward. A little bit later in his second letter to the Corinthians, Paul expands on how this works so that we don't forget. He says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us. They're doing something for us. The, the troubles that you're experiencing aren't just troubles. They're actually elements in our walk of faith with God that he's using to produce perseverance. Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them. So we, we fix our eyes, Paul says. We, we persevere, we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since that which is seen is temporary, and that which is unseen is eternal. Perseverance carries with it a reward and like our friend Lucy just reminded us, oh, this is going to be yummy. Number three, perseverance gives us a competitive edge. The persistent person has a competitive edge, not over other people. The consistent or the persistent person, the person with perseverance, has a competitive edge over obstacles that come in their way over opposition and difficulties and trials and suffering. That persistent person makes the obstacles that are in front of them bow down and give way to the persistence of that person. It's a spiritual principle. Yeshua shares that story with us in the Gospel of Luke about a widow woman who goes to the judge in her town and she's asking him to grant her justice from her adversary. She doesn't have any representation. She's a woman, the lowest class, and then above that, she's a widow. And because probably she's a widow, and probably because she's a woman, and probably I'm adding in to the scriptures, he probably knows the adversary, and he doesn't want to deal with them, he turns down her request. Not just once, 
not even twice, but over and over and over and over again. Time after time, her request gets turned down. Yeshua tells us, in spite of her weaknesses of being a woman and a widow in that season, in spite of repeated failures of going to the magistrate, in spite of rejections and turndowns that are multiple, she continued persevering, persistently coming to the ruler. Who knows what that looked like, but in my, in my imagination, I'm, she doesn't just come into the courtroom every day. She's following him home at work at the end of the day. And she's bugging him as she's walking behind him. Give me justice. And she's meeting him at the coffee shop as he's stopping on his way into work. Give me justice. And she's calling him on the phone at night when he's watching TV with his family. Give me justice. And she persists and she's persistent. And she perseveres until Yeshua tells us she finally gets what she wants. Justice from her adversaries. See, persistence, perseverance gave her that competitive edge. She refused to give up. She wouldn't take no for an answer. In fact, I think that no wasn't even an option for her. It had to change or she couldn't continue to live. This is the power of perseverance. When we look at Nehemiah, we see a couple of other things about perseverance that are very important for us if we're going to apply this in our lives. Number one, the enemy never gave up. In fact, the enemy started long before Nehemiah even came on the scene. If we read the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, as the, as the exiles come back into the land from day one, there's opposition to them being there. There's persecution. There's accusations. And it continues to come and come and come. Here in chapter 6, we see it coming in a flood. But even after the walls are built and the doors are put on the gates, it didn't stop the opposition. The enemy persisted. The enemy has perseverance. Number one, we need to remember that part the enemies of God will continue to fight against God. Not necessarily against us, but against the God in us, against God's people and against God's plan. Number two, and this gives us the freedom to say number one, God never gave up until he finished his work. Said a different way, God never gives up until his work is finished. God has perseverance. In fact, God is our example of perseverance, and we'll get to that in just a moment. But God made a promise to the Jewish people through Jeremiah and Isaiah that he was going to bring them back into their land and restore them, restore their cities, build up their walls, restore worship to him again. And God is faithful to his promise. He's persistent to make this promise a reality trumping the persistence of the enemy. So no matter how much the enemy continues to be persistent, he continues to lose because God always wins. And God is always persistently persevering to complete his work. 
God, as we see in Nehemiah's story, never gives up on his plans. He never gives up on his people. He never gives up on us and the promises that he's made to us. In fact, if we had time, and this would be great homework for some of us, so this is your homework assignment, there are numerous scriptures that speak about God's persistence, his perseverance, his stick to if you will. Love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. Love endures all things. That's our God. He that began a good work in you, he that began that good work, will bring it to completion because God is persistent and he perseveres. Yeshua is our example. When we want to know what perseverance really looks like, we look at Yeshua's life, who with that plan that God planted in his heart that he carried as a mantle over his life, persevered to the very end. Through all kinds of trials and testings and opposition and mocking and ridicule and unbelievable things that we can't even begin to grasp what that would have been like. But as we look at Yeshua's life, he goes all the way to the end. And he accomplishes God's plan, even unto death. And it's important that we capture that little part of Yeshua's perseverance. Because this leads us to the third key that we want to look at about perseverance. This thing that we see in Nehemiah. There's a pattern to perseverance that we see in Yeshua's life. And it's wise for us to acknowledge it and to embrace it. It's always darkest. This is how this pattern works. It's always the darkest right before the light comes up. It's always the coldest part of the night before the dawn and the sun comes up. The greatest temptations always come right before the breakthrough, the temptations to quit, to stop, to give up, to step outside of God's will and to do it our way, to start trusting in ourselves. That temptation always comes right before we have breakthrough. And we see this in Yeshua's life. The, the worst part of the perseverance that he stepped into, the oppositions that came against him, culminated in his death. In the mocking trial and the ridicule that he experienced and then the torture, even unto death. And we need to understand that this is a part of persistence. Persistence isn't just doing it one or two times, five times, ten times. And then if it gets really hard, oh, I'm out of here. Our culture doesn't understand perseverance. And we've made too many um, allowances, if you will, too many excuses. We've allowed ourselves too many excuses. Ah, it's just too hard. Nobody else is doing it. Why should I press through? I'll just get a different word from the Lord. This is too hard for me to, to do. I can't do this. 
why would God choose me? What, what, what do I have to offer him? What do I have to offer his kingdom? I'm just going to stop now. This is just too hard. I didn't know this was going to be a part of it. I didn't know I was going to have to face those people. I didn't know I was going to have to hear that accusation. I can't do it. But this is where I want to camp tonight for just a couple of minutes to say this. Because persistence is that quality that we need to go forward in this next season. The Bible gives us a description of what the end days will look like. And he compares it to a woman giving birth where the contractions are stronger and closer together the closer that you get to the birth. Signaling for us today a truth that we need to understand as we move forward out of this challenging season of troubles and struggles and trials. And this truth is this. Our future as we move forward is more likely to be filled with more challenges, greater trials, more opposition, more problems. And I'm saying that with a smile because I know some of you are going, I don't know if I can do that. I just came out of this. This was the hardest season of my life. I don't know if I can do more. Pastor Mike, God, I don't know if I I can do more. But this is the reality of persistence and perseverance that we see in Yeshua's life, that we see in the word. The closer you get to the birth, the closer together the contractions are. And the more intense they are until, wow, that baby suddenly makes their appearance. And then it's all worth it. And this is the season that we're living in. This is why I'm saying that persistence is that character virtue that we need more now as we go forward than we've ever needed it before in our lives. Because the troubles that we felt during this last season, according to Paul, are just light and momentary problems that are working an eternal glory in our lives. And we have a choice as we continue to go forward, remembering that everything that's worthwhile is uphill, remembering that every time we say yes to the Lord and we begin to move forward, we will experience opposition and problems and trials and, and the list continues to go on. We need to remember that as we face those trials, as we walk through the suffering, calling on God for our help, asking for him to strengthen our hands and asking for him to push our enemies away. As we do that, God is birthing perseverance inside of you, inside of me, inside of his body. Because God's end goal is what we see in the book of Revelation, where over and over again, God and Yeshua say that it's the overcomer that I'm going to bless It's the overcomer that's going to be rejoicing with me in eternity. It's the overcomer that's going to be honored in my midst. We don't become overcomers without overcoming something. And to be an overcomer, 
We have to have persistence. We have to have perseverance. And that only comes, it's only birthed as the testing and the trials of our faith takes place in our lives. So I'm saying all of this tonight to say, I want us to steal our hearts. That we would be perseverers, that we would be overcomers. I want you to be an overcomer. I want to stand with you. I want to be an overcomer. And stand with you in God's kingdom as overcomers rejoicing. This was so good. This is so yummy. We made it. Wow. Thomas Edison once said that most of life's failures are people who didn't realize how close they were to success before they gave up. I think that as we go forward in this next year, I believe God has great, great things for us. But those great things come with a price tag. Those great things are going to be found walking through opposition and trials and persecutions and sufferings and and all those things that come with serving our God and, and our lives looking like Yeshua. And so tonight, as we close, I want to ask you this question. Do you desire to accomplish God's great plans that he has for you in your life? Do you desire to see the eternal rewards of a righteous life lived? Do you desire, do you want your life to matter and to count for eternity? I know I do. And the key for this to take place is perseverance. Because perseverance is the main character trait that we will need to move forward in the coming days. Thanks to Nehemiah, we see what that looks like. Because it isn't being gifted that allows us to move forward or not gifted. It isn't having luck that allows us to move forward or being unlucky. It isn't beauty that allows us to accomplish God's plan or being ugly. It isn't riches that allows us to accomplish God's plans or being poor. The only thing that makes the difference, the fundamental difference between a successful outcome and a failed outcome is that persistent man or woman of God diligently pressing in and saying, I will not stop. Don't eat the marshmallow. I won't. Don't eat the marshmallow. I won't. I am not, I'm not eating mine. Or that person who quits because it gets hard. They quit trying. They give up. They stop. They choose a different path. That's the only difference. Persistence, perseverance makes that difference. So maybe you're here tonight and maybe... You've, you've run the track for a long time. You, you've hit that spot where, Lord, I don't know if I can continue to be obedient in this area. I don't know, God, if I have the strength to 
accomplish this thing that you've put in my heart to do. I see too many obstacles in front of me. There's too much opposition. There's too many problems. I don't want to deal with the problems. You know, I, I grew up thinking that problems were wrong. That opposition was wrong. If some, somehow if it was happening in your life, you need to get, it, get into a different spot so that it isn't happening. And I've learned since working here with Pastor Chad, we welcome our problems. We walk through them with God's grace and with his strength in our lives. So maybe you're facing that challenging time in your life right now. You've just come out of this long, hard season. I don't know if I can keep doing this, God. God wants to give you that perseverance. He wants you to be an overcomer more than you want to be an overcomer. Would you stand with me? Let's pray, and we're going to invite the worship team to come. I know there's not very many of us here, but would you mind just grab somebody else's hand next to you, by you, around you. Scooch over if you have to. Let's pray for each other. Father, we thank you that in your word we see clearly written out this character virtue of perseverance. And I'm just going to confess tonight, God, that I don't feel like I'm very persevering. I don't feel very strong in this area. But I want to be an overcomer, God. I want us, your people, this body of believers, here in person and online, God, we want to be overcomers. We want to walk with you and we want to reign with you. We want to stand with you in eternity as a life well lived. But we know that we need perseverance to do that. And so, God, we're asking that you'd strengthen us, strengthen our hands, push our enemy away where they come in against us, Lord, like a flood. Give us the ability to live bold and courageous lives as overcomers, as men and women of God in a darkening world where trials and challenges are only going to increase. We pray that you would do that over each one of our lives now. In your precious name, Yeshua, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we love you, honestly. And I know that's a hard word. It's not a fun word. But can I encourage you to dig into it, to persevere, to do the homework, find some scriptures that talk about God's persistence. Maybe find some scriptures that talk about how you can be persistent and apply those to your life. Amen.